When we started Lakeside Church, well, actually, before we started Lakeside Church, Donna and I went around to some other churches around Northern California to raise funds because there was, you know, there was no church here called Lakeside and there was no one to pay salaries and, you know, do the things we had to do. And so we went to other churches and asked them if they would help fund Lakeside Church for a year or two or three, up to three years. And so we went to this one church down in Santa Cruz, not the one that we came from to move here, but another uh, sister church of that one. We went to their gathering and the pastor had the children come up during the worship gathering and uh, he had a little box, a little shoe box type thing. And he, the kids all came up. And then when they came up, one of the kids brought the box that day. And the pastor opened it up and told a story from what was in the box. I'm like, that's the coolest idea in church ever. It was like the most interesting thing that happened that whole day in church, right? And so I thought, when we do Lakeside, when we launch this church, we're going to do that. So we did. From, I think it was from day one, we started doing a mystery. We called it the mystery box. And it was really, it was really interesting because I would spend hours and hours and hours getting a talk ready for the weekend, getting a sermon ready so I could tell you this is what God says through the Bible, you know. And then we'd open up the mystery box when kid, kid would bring the mystery box up, and everyone was like on the edge of their seat, like, "Whoa, what's going to happen now? What's he going to say now?" And and part of the fun part was people I know people in their seats would think, "Well, what would I say about that?" And so it was very interactive, very engaging, and we did that for the first. Mm, 15 years, and we even did it for a long time when we had the family room going over in the blocks. We've done it for a lot of the years of the existence of Lakeside, and I loved it. It's hard to do in this size room. It's hard to make it work, and we got a whole Kids Fest program, and so it's harder to make it work these days so we don't do it. But I thought, what if we could do for one day, for one weekend, we could do sort of a mystery box with the whole crowd? And you could tell me what you want to talk about. Because that's what would happen. A kid would bring it with some treasure from home. I t- I, here's the rule. You bring it back with some treasure from home, and don't tell me what's, it, what's in it when you get here. And so I'd, you know, they'd all come up front, and I'd open the box and figure out what's in there. I think there were only two times where it was actually breathing. Well, yeah, of which I was not a fan. There were some really great stories from Mystery Box events. So anyway, I'd, I'd pull it out, and we'd have a talk right, right there about what they wanted to talk about. So... We're going to do that today. We're going to give you a chance to ask questions today in our gathering about Jesus in particular. So here's the deal. Next weekend, we're going to start a series called When Heaven Sneaks Up on You. When Jesus talked about the kingdom of heaven, which is probably his favorite topic that he talked about with the people that follow him him around the nation of Israel. When he talked about the kingdom of heaven, he always talked about it like it was a surprise. Like they all thought they knew what heaven was about. And you probably all think you know what heaven's about. They thought they didn't. So Jesus would talk about the kingdom of heaven, but it always surprised them what he talked about. And so we're going to spend the next, excuse me, the next several weeks from now until about Thanksgiving. And we're just going to talk about the life of Jesus from the book of Matthew. And the whole series is called When Heaven Sneaks Up on You. Because that's what it does to us. And I want us to kind of figure out how that works. Now when I prepare a series, and when I prepare a message for the weekend, this, the process goes something like this. I go away two or three or sometimes four times a year and just take five days or so, and just I go away and I pray and I read scripture and I read books and I plan out where we're heading in our, in our message series. And then when it gets to the week, so I got a pretty good outline of where we're heading, you know, week by week through a series. But then when it comes to the week, I will, I've got a process that I walk through to get a message ready. And it go, in reverse, it goes like this. On Friday, I write it out. I shrink wrap it. I put it in notes that are small enough to fit in my pint-sized Bible. 
That's Friday. On Thursday, I'm scratching my head going, what are we going to talk about? How's it going to work? How am I going to take everything that I did on Wednesday and put it into a message that will work on Saturday and Sunday? On Wednesday of that week, I answer all the questions that I've asked already about that scripture. And on Monday of that week, working backwards, on Monday, all I do is ask questions. I take out the Bible. I take out the passage that we're going to look at because I already know that from my retreat time. And I just write down every question I can think of based on the passage that we're about to read. When you're looking at your own Bible study, like, how do I study the Bible? It would be a great thing to start just by with a pen and a paper in your hand and just ask questions. Ask every question you can think of about that passage that you're reading. And then before you move on to the next passage, answer those questions. And if you have questions that you've written down that you can't answer, see Pastor Sean. See how that works? It's easy. So that's, that's kind of the journey. So when I get started in a, in a message for the week or for the weekend, I start with questions. So I want to start with you guys with the same thing. It's kind of like the mystery box. It's kind of like preparing for a, a message. Let's just ask some questions together. So we're going, to put a, we're going to put a number up on the screen that you can text your questions to. We're not going to trust you with a microphone, sorry. But we will trust you with a text number. So why don't you take your phone out? If you did this last time we did questions, you, you, may have this in your, uh, you may have it in your phone already because this was the same number. Take your phone out, open up the text app, and punch that number in. And then if you have questions, now specifically I want you to ask questions about Jesus. Like, like you've always wondered this one thing about Jesus. What was that thing with Jesus when he did this? Or what did Jesus mean when he said that? If you have some question that's always kind of intrigued you about Jesus and it's never been answered, ask it. And we're going to talk about it. Or, or if, you have, if you have questions about what does it look like to follow Jesus today in this world, in this crazy world that we live in, what does it look like to follow Jesus today? Ask that question. Send it in. Our editors up in the booth are going to look at those and, and pull out the ones that are really on that topic of who Jesus is. And if you want to go afield from that, you can, but I can't promise you that we'll get to those questions. But, you know, give it a swing if you want to. It's, it's kind of open season on questions if you want today. All right, is that good? Is that clear? All right, I got, I got Rachel Blackburn and Sean Miller are going to help me with our questions today. So why don't you welcome these guys up, please? Hello. How are you guys? Good? See, I think right, they interact in. a little bit more with me. I'm sorry. Yeah, what's... <laughs> what's it's because I have a fresh face. Oh, yeah, I shaved. I think. Oh, you did. Yeah, that's, good. That's, that's, that's really good. Yeah. Some unfresh faces. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> We're not so fresh anymore. No, now. I know. That's kind of how that goes. All right, so this is, this is smart Alec Rachel. Oh, no. This is Rachel Blackburn. Rachel is one of our protégés. She's in her third year in her protégé ministry, doing a fantastic job, uh, primarily leading small groups in our, in our student ministries, and I think mostly in high school ministry. Yeah, yeah, just high school. And occasionally I'll speak at middle school. Okay. Yeah. So really doing a great, great job. So I thought, man, it'd be, it'd be great for you to hear from a fresh face. So that's why we brought her up here. And then I, and then I thought, and you know Sean Miller, and uh, Sean just did a great job going, taking us through the series of Ruth last few weeks, right? So that was fun. Yeah. And Sean is our pastoral navigator among us and uh, has a great grasp of Scripture, has a great, uh, I think, understanding of God's heart and how does that all work together with us. And so uh, it'd be great to, I thought it'd be great to hear from Sean as well. So let's just, we're, let's just talk about some questions we have. I set you guys up and said, bring some questions you want to ask. And while we're waiting for people to get their questions in, let's just start with you guys. 
Rachel, what's the question? What's like the top question you want to ask about Jesus? Okay. And you want Sean to answer. I have a list. Um, okay, probably my top question is, why didn't the Pharisees and Sadducees recognize Jesus? So that was the religious leaders of the day when Jesus was alive. You said, why didn't they recognize Jesus? Yeah, why didn't they know that Jesus was the Messiah? <laughs> yeah. yeah, they're yeah. the religious leaders. They, yeah. If anybody, they should have known this is, like, this is God's Messiah right here. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah that's a great question. Um, I think uh, the Sadducees and Pharisees were two different camps uh, at that time. So there was basically four different camps of kind of religious beliefs at the time. And Sadducees and Pharisees were pretty close together. They, they differed on things. Um, but I think the main reason is, is because they were looking for a completely different type of Messiah. So uh, Messiah means anointed one. And in the Old Testament, the prophets prophesied that there was going to be a king that came. And sometimes they called this person a priest uh, or a king because Jesus fulfilled different roles. And say they were looking for a particular type. And one of the reasons was, was because in their history, they were used to God rescuing them and if you think about their history, it goes all the way back to Egypt, and they got rescued from, like, by Moses, a great leader. And Moses said that somebody like me is going to, going to turn up one of these days. And then uh, God brought them out of captivity when they were in Babylon, and so, you know, rescuing them. And so they thought that maybe a great military leader was going to show up because they were an oppressed people, and the Romans were pretty heavy-handed with them. And they thought, well somebody's going to come and crush these Romans, and, and it's, we're going to be uh, an independent nation again. God's going to bless us, and everybody in the whole world will know that God is our God because of that. And Jesus was, com- in many ways, completely opposite of that. And that's one of the reasons I think, oh, well, you can't be the Messiah because you're not doing, you're not doing what he would do. So, Do we fall in the same traps today? Oh, yeah, that's, that's the first thing that came to my mind, right? I mean, you look, in the, you, look uh, you know, on the front page of the news on your phone and uh, all sorts of things going on about, like, what is Christianity and what are Christians doing these days? What are they not doing? What are they saying? What are they not saying? And there's a lot of disagreement. Yeah. So it would, it would stand to reason that some people aren't getting it right. Yeah. <laughs> The, the, the thing with the, the expectation of the Messiah that they were looking for was power. They thought it would come, he would come with power of some kind. Mm-hmm. And when Jesus came, and this is, in, this is in the book of Matthew that we'll be talking about as we go along, but the Sermon on the Mount begins with, blessed are the poor in spirit. It's the exact opposite of what the Pharisees thought. They thought, blessed are those who are rich and those who are rich in spirit and who got it all together. And Jesus said, no, it's the opposite of that. Yeah. And he said, blessed are those who mourn. And they're like, what? How is that a blessing? He said, blessed are the meek. And they're like, nobody's blessed if they're meek. And that's, they, had, they were upside down in terms of what they expected yeah. Jesus to be like, what they expected the Messiah to be like. Mm-hmm. And I, it, to me, that's always a warning in my life. Like, how do, I, how do I build these expectations of the Messiah up in my life? And then they're upside down from who Jesus really is. Yeah, that's good. Yeah. All right. Rachel, tell us your favorite story of Jesus. Uh, my favorite story is at the very end of John, and um, it's when Jesus shows up um, on the shore, and Peter and some of the other disciples are in a boat, and they're fishing, and Jesus calls out to them. And Peter, being Peter, just 
jumps in the water and you know, swims as fast as he can to Jesus. And then they have this dialogue where Jesus says, like, um, do you love me? Three times. And this was after Peter had denied him three times. And it was, it's so clear that Jesus is offering him forgiveness. He's offering him, like, a way back into a relationship with him. I just think it's so beautiful that that's how John ends his gospel. Mm-hmm. It, he ends it with Jesus coming back to forgive and call Peter once again to the mission that had already been given to him. Because he didn't, he, Jesus didn't count him out just because he messed up. And I mean, denying Jesus, that's a, that's a pretty big mess up. That's not just, you know, oh, I didn't read my Bible today, or oh, I, you know, sinned in some way. That's, that's a major thing. So I always just think that's a beautiful story. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a great story. It's also a great story in the details that he tells coming into that. They're, they caught so many fish, the nets were breaking, and they yeah. find out, G- Peter finds out from John that that's Jesus on shore cooking fish, right? So he hops out of the boat and drags the net to shore, and it says there's 153 large fish in the net. I'm like, how much does 153 large fish weigh? <laughs> Which then gives you a little bit of a background picture. Like sometimes people go, well, how do you find these things out? Well, Here's Peter. He's able to haul in 153 fish that probably weighed a couple pounds each. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I'm like, oh, he's a big dude. A big fisherman. Guy. Yeah. yeah. And he was given forgiveness, yeah. which is a better part of the story. It, yeah. I think so. <laughs> I like in that story how he jumps out of the boat because he, he can't wait to get to Jesus. The, yeah. the, there must have been something about Jesus, even in Peter's uh, failure, maybe his shame. He, he, knew, he knew where to go mm-hmm. when he was at his worst. And so he, he had done his worst, and he made a beeline for Jesus. Mm-hmm. Fantastic. Yeah. Cool. Sean, what are your, like, what's your favorite statement from Jesus or your favorite teaching from Jesus? Yeah, well, you mentioned the Sermon on the Mount. Um, that's definitely, so Matthew 5, 6, and 7, and especially the Beatitudes, um, the whole idea of the meek inheriting the earth. Um, I think that's why the, you know, going back to the first question, why the religious leaders didn't get Jesus, because they're like, no, we can't turn this place upside down and win like this. And yet, you know, uh, Jesus has been transforming cultures all over the world, you know, and it's, it, it's through the meek. And so um, I like that. I love his teaching on greatness from Matthew 16 to about uh, the end of Matthew 20. Jesus, um, there's this reoccurring theme of what it means to be great in the kingdom of heaven, and it's on that theme of, of meekness. And it kind of reaches this crescendo when, uh, when James and John send their mom to go talk to Jesus. And and they say, hey, you know, can my boys sit on your right hand and on the left hand? And there's some speculation, but, G- but their mom could have been Jesus' aunt. And so they could have been his cousins. And so there's this zero-sum game of power because when you're a Messiah in that day, you're only a Messiah openly for a little while because Rome will, will crush you. They'll kill you. And there were probably 10 to 12 Messiahs from about 250 B.C. to 135 A.D., actually. All the way up into the A.D., there was messiahs showing up, people claiming to be the messiah. And um, so he was going to die. They knew he was going to die. And the way that you kept the messianic movement going was that somebody had to take your place. And that was usually a family member, like a son or a cousin, somebody like keep it in the family. And so these are Jesus' disciples. These are like the core of the beginning of Christianity, of the church. These are the ones that are going to go out and they're going to die for their faith. And they're arguing about power. And Jesus says, this is not how power works among you. The Gentiles, you know how power works with them. They lord it over their subjects. And he said, not so with you. 
And he talks about whoever wants to be great, uh, first of all, he talks about becoming like a child because you have to lower your status. But then he says you have to become like a servant. Um, and then he uses the word slave. And then he says even as the son of man did not come to, to be served but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. How did he give his life as a ransom? On the cross. Who was the cross for? The cross was for criminals. So there's this downward ladder of meekness. So child, uh, servant, slave, and then criminal. And he says, that's, that's what I did. That's where the true power is. And, uh, and so that's what greatness looks like. It's subversive. It's upside down. And I just, I, I, I'm like, this is what our world needs. We need more meekness, not top-heavy you know, slamming people, manipulating people, whatever that might be, you yeah. know, whatever, whatever that might look like. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Awesome. Hey, let's, uh, we put this out on Facebook this week to try and see if we can get some questions to prime the pump before we get into the texted one. So let me, let me give one that came in this week. Uh, what does an actual relationship with Jesus look like? I feel discouraged because obtaining actual closeness to him seems impossible. I can't seem to connect with him. What should I expect in a relationship with Jesus? What are practical ways of achieving this? Oh, um, that's a big question. <laughs> we, need, we need a fresh face for that one. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, I don't think they're going to like my answer, but I think it looks different for everyone. You know, God made each of us unique, and in the same way, each of us are going to connect uniquely to God. And I think you connect to God differently in different seasons and times in your life. Um, the biggest way I connect to God is definitely through prayer. I love prayer. I pray all the time. It's not like a one, you know, one time a day thing for me. You know, it's all through the day. The scripture says pray continually. And I think that's one major thing. Um, another great way is to read scripture. And to me, it's amazing how the more scripture I seem to read and sort of know somewhat, the more when I'm praying, sometimes a random scripture from somewhere will come to mind. And then I'll go and look that up. And it's cool how God can kind of communicate with me in that way. I'm not saying it's like an audible voice. I'm just like, I'll just, it'll just pop into my mind. Um, another great way is just with get around people who know Jesus and know him well and share your life with them. I was on the phone with um, someone who used to work at Lakeside just on Friday, and she told me something that I had told her in June about God and what kind of how he was moving in my life, and I had completely forgotten. And it was so cool because when she told me, I was like, oh, oh, yeah, the way that God is moving now, like I knew this was going to happen. I totally forgot that God, you know, had, I had felt like God was going to do that. And it's cool that other people can speak into your life and confirm things or point things out to you. Um, yeah. What, about, what do yeah. you guys think? Yeah, it's, it, it's always changing. I don't know. It's sometimes, some days it's, it's small talk. It's like, you know, sometimes God is my buddy. Sometimes I'm on my face going, oh, man, God, I just, I need you. We're crying out to him. Sometimes, you know, I'm in desperation. Sometimes I'm mad. Sometimes, so it, it, it's really, it's, it's like, another person, yeah. you know? I mean, and I think, I think, wow, that's how we're designed, you know? And yeah. you go through the ebbs and flows. The tools, the rhythms that you talked about, yeah, are huge, you know? Solitude, prayer, you know, scripture, conversation, uh, community, and all those things, yeah. yeah. We have a name for that. <clears throat> the things you're describing, we call it the well-crafted life. Yeah. 
right? So we, we talk about that thing all the time, the well-crafted life, and we say there's five things in there that we want you to do as a follower of Jesus, and they will move you forward. And what are they? Prayer and scripture and connection. Those are the first three, which are the ones, Rachel, you talked about. Yeah. And then generosity does that because it binds our heart to God's heart because one of the primary characteristics of God is that he gives, he's generous to us, and, uh, and serving. And, and, and Jesus said, he's talking about himself, he said, the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for others. So those, those things, we look at the scriptures, we go, those are the top five things to do to build your relationship with Christ and to keep moving forward with him. Mm-hmm. So I would lean back into those, uh, those crafts of the well-crafted life. Yeah, another good thing I just remember is there's this book called Sacred Pathways by Gary Thomas, and it goes through different ways to spend time with Jesus and has, you know, like surveys so you can figure out, okay, what's mine? Like some people connect him in nature or other things like that. It's an excellent book. It's easy read. I would definitely recommend it. Good. Title of it again? Uh, Sacred Pathways. Sacred Pathways. Awesome. All right. Did somebody text a question to us yet? We have some? Okay. Hey, put, let's see something up on the screen that someone has asked. In John 14, Jesus said, ask me anything and I will do it. Why does it appear that he sometimes doesn't answer prayers? Well, hey, could you guys put up an easy one first? (laughs) Seriously. (laughs) Yeah, great, great question. Why does it seem like he sometimes doesn't answer prayers? I mean, is that, did Jesus tell a lie when he said, ask me anything and I'll do it? John? Maybe, I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) Who's going to, who's going to take this football? Yeah, uh, so when is, when is John 14 taking place? Go back and remember John 14 happens right the night, the night before Jesus was crucified. Yeah, so... So we've got his disciples in a room together. They're terrified yeah. of what's coming, although they, don't, they yeah. don't know what's coming. They just fear it. Yeah, so he's got a small audience. He's got his disciples with him. And, uh, you know, the, Jesus says a lot of things that seem like he's exaggerating. And sometimes I wonder... Um, if that's a, a literary device that the, that the writers, because John's writing this, you know, he's, yeah. he's writing, I, I, don't, I don't think he's got like a pen recording everything that Jesus is saying as, as it's going on. I think he's reflecting back and it's, he's probably writing at the, near the end of the first century. Um, maybe the earliest is maybe the 60s, but his gospel may be more like the 80s or 90s. And so I think he's reflecting back and he's like, oh, he he can do anything. And the people that I'm going to send this gospel to, they need to believe in that. Mm-hmm. They need to believe that he, he really can. And so I think if you pull that verse out and you just like put it on your dashboard and you only think about that sentence, then I think, I think it's hard to reconcile that. I can't reconcile that personally because he doesn't, he doesn't answer. He doesn't do he didn't everything. He yes to everything. Yeah, 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 yeah. And uh, some, yeah, sometimes he says no and Maybe sometimes he says, wait, and I don't always know which is which, yeah. you know. And, um, but I think if, if you kind of take that in the context of the whole story layers of Scripture and you watch the followers of Jesus even throughout their lives, um, he, doesn't, he doesn't say yes to everything. And, mm-hmm. it, and so you're like, okay, may, maybe, maybe he wasn't saying that. He wasn't saying, I will do everything that you ask. Yeah. Maybe he was saying something else. Well, it's a great idea to, to look at the context of that statement. I mean, that's, a, that's Bible study 101. What's the context that you find this in? 
And if he's talking to a small group of disciples who have, as you talked about, Sean, they were constantly going, who's the greatest? Who's, you know, how do I get in next to Jesus and those things? Well, after they saw him die and after they saw him rise from the grave, don't you think, they're, don't you think the things they asked for shifted? We are so far removed from that and we're so wrapped up in our world that the things we ask for are like, Jesus, I'd really like that new Ferrari that I've had on my fridge for a long time. It's been a long time I've been asking for this. I think, the, I think the disciples of Jesus were asking different questions of Jesus. I think by the time they saw him rise from the grave and they got to stick their finger into his hand where the nails were and things, I think by that time they were like, we've got to be about the mission. We've got we to be asking for things that are about the mission. And so, you know, their prayers were, you know, Lord, open doors for us into, into this world, into our city, into the places around us so that the mission goes forward. And I think Jesus answered those questions prayers, yes, and even though most of the disciples died by martyrdom, you go, well, he didn't answer their prayer then. He did if their prayer was to make the kingdom of God go forward because it really moved forward because of the persecution that happened to the church. Now, we're not, we're not praying for persecution, but we are praying for the mission of Christ to advance, and what does he have to do in our lives to make the mission of Christ the number one thing in our minds, the number one thing in our drive? Maybe he has to change our circumstances in ways we wouldn't have asked for, yeah. but they do accomplish the mission. I think in that same, so in that same, so between John 13 and John, and the end of John 17, that's a whole kind of discourse, you know, and mm-hmm. we're, that the audience is his disciples. I think he also talked a lot about abiding in me. If you abide in me, you will bear much fruit. And so that, that's also part of the context. There, there's, a, there's a way to ask as we're abiding versus the question that they asked earlier before they got to Jerusalem that I just mentioned about, mm-hmm. can I sit on your right hand and your left-hand side? It's a different question. Is he going to do that too if I do I have enough faith or whatever? So different context, yeah, yeah, you're right. And the whole idea of abiding, and that channels the way that we ask mm-hmm. and what we ask for. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right, let's do another one. Let's, you guys have another question up there? What was Jesus like as a child and a teenager? Did he have a normal upbringing? Rachel, you work with teenagers. <laughs> I don't think any teenager is normal. <laughs> I when, love them, When though. do we become normal? <laughs> I don't know if there is a point. Um, so I'd have to say, I think Jesus, I think from what we can read in Scripture, I think they really, his parents really tried to give him an, as normal of an upbringing as as possible, but what stands out to me is um, that Jesus's family had to go to, I believe it was Jerusalem for a census. I could be wrong on that one though. And so they they go and they're there, and then the family heads back. And a day into their journey, they realize like, oh, where's Jesus? He's he's not with us. And um, and they go back and look for him, and he he's still in the temple, and he's still trying to learn from the rabbis and just sitting there and learning about his father because he knows that God, his heavenly father, is actually his father. And um, I think that's what, what made it probably his childhood a lot different was even for the very beginning, he knew his mission and he knew who God was and he just wanted to be with him, which I think makes sense because if, you know, Jesus is part of the church, he was there from the very start you know, from the very beginning of Genesis, of the creation. And so, you know, he was up in heaven. He's with God all of the time. And then he leaves God, you know, his father, to come to earth to be God with us. And 
to, you know, sacrifice himself. And so as much as, yes, he, his parents probably tried to make it normal, his upbringing, there's just no way it could be because he's called to something so extraordinary and nothing like we've ever seen or will ever see again. You think Mary ever caught Jesus practicing walking on water? (laughs) (laughs) I don't know. I'm sure that Jesus still found ways to be, like, naughty, you know, like all kids and teenagers, but I don't know. Because, you know, they push limits, but they don't go over the line. It just drives you nuts. I'm sure if you're a parent in the room, you know exactly what I'm talking about. I'm sure he did that. Yeah. But in a respectful way. I don't know. (laughs) <laughs> I'm, sure he pushed, I'm, sure, I'm sure he pushed way. the boundaries in a respectful way. That, I'm sure. Yeah. He, he, he figured he out exactly that. perfectly how to become an adult. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm in. Yeah. I don't know. I think so. Yeah. Yeah. So that's my opinion. That's not from Scripture. So just so you know. <laughs> well, yeah, because when you, ask, so when you ask a question, what was his childhood like and what, was his, what were his teenage years like, we only have that one story when he was yeah. 12 uh, from the time that he, the, his family brought him back to Nazareth from, they had fled to Egypt because of some danger. They brought him back. So we only had that one story about Jesus' life from you know, early childhood through until t- he was about 30. And there's that one s- spot where he's 12 where they tell that story of him in the temple. Yeah. yeah. But I think we can trust that he does love and honor his mom because she's with him all throughout his journey in life, um, even at the cross, yeah. which I think is, is really cool. Um, yeah. All right. Good. Maybe we've got time for two more. You guys, give us another one. If Jesus were on earth today, would he be a Democrat or Republican? <laughs> how, 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 how mad do they want us to make one? <laughs> how many Democrats in the room? <laughs> how many Republicans? No, never mind. Next question. Oh, come well, on. here's... Okay. I'll wade into this a little bit briefly. <laughs> you, do any of you have stones or tomatoes? <laughs> Here's the deal. I believe that both of our political parties, although they are, in my mind, they are in a world of hurt right now and confusion and anger and pain. But I believe that both of our major political parties s- stand for some good things. Mm-hmm. And I believe both of those parties also stand for some things that are contrary to God's heart. And if we, as followers of Jesus, could figure out where is Jesus aligned primarily with the Democratic viewpoint and where is he aligned with the Republican viewpoint, we would be a lot more sane and healthy. If we were able to come to a spot where we realize that people that were of the opposing party from me have some things that they believe are good and and. And we actually would believe that those things lined up with what Jesus believes and holds to. And yet we will also believe that our party has something that Jesus believes and holds on to. We would have a much more grace-filled, productive political environment. That's good. I agree with that. All right. (laughs) Thank you for that. Uh, last, (laughs) Last question. Last question. Uh, why did Jesus seem to prefer to speak in parables so often to his listeners? Me? Okay. Um, <laughs> he was subversive. Most of his parables were hard to swallow stuff. Um, and some of the people in the audience 
as they were listening, would figure out eventually that they were talking about them. And oftentimes it was those religious leaders. Um, and then, you know, there's, there's power in story uh, because you can tell a story and people can identify. Why? We love stories. We love really, really good stories. We will pay money to go, like a lot of money, to go to movies or buy you know, Netflix or, you know, whatever, and we will watch them again and again. We'll read a book over and over and over again. I think God designed us that way. And so I think there's a human element. There's a, just the way that we're designed and created. But then stories are, are, are a great teaching mechanism. And, um, and there were the rabbis, there were, it was part of their custom to tell stories too. So he fit right in with, with the way that things rolled as a rabbi, as a, as a teacher, uh, and people would come and expect to hear uh, stories often. And so, um, and, and his own disciples were confused at times. You know, it's like, what does this mean? Yeah. <laughs> and sometimes he would explain, and most of the time he wouldn't, you know. And so you just continue to wrestle. And it was also, that's also a very Jewish thing to do is, is to wrestle and to debate and to, and to argue. And then at the end of the day, to be friends. So back to your last question, mm-hmm. I, I, think, I think that we ought to be able to kind of really get in there and wrestle and then love each other at the same time so yeah agreed yeah all right all right well let's have the band come up and get ready to lead us again we're going to give an offering to the lord together and if you uh if you want to give an offering to houston you know you know the slide so make that happen and you know whatever gifts you have we're going to give give the offering in just a moment um rachel why don't you pray for us to wrap up our conversation would you do that Dear God, I thank you so much that we can just come together and talk a little bit about you and talk about some questions that we may have. And I thank you that you are not a God that is scared of our questions, but that you have given us your word so that we might be able to answer some of our questions about you. I thank you, um, God, that you are with us, and I just pray that you'd bless everyone here. And uh, I just pray for this offering, God, that it would extend, that it would bless people here and bless people in Houston. And God, may you be with the relief effort and provide for them. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Amen.